Well, good morning, everybody. And um, I don't know about you, but Sue and I really enjoyed watching um, Inosa's uh, service yesterday down in Tauranga um, on YouTube. Um, what a terrific service uh, that was. And, of course, he'll be preaching his first sermon today um, in Tauranga. And um, you can view that on YouTube later if you're interested with the links. But I just want to um, uh, start by telling you a story. Apologies if you've heard this one from me before. Um, but I heard about a preacher who um, offered prayer at the end of his um, sermon. Um, and it was actually a healing meeting. And um, this guy came up and stood in front of the preacher and said, Pastor, will you pray for my hearing, please? So the pastor grabbed him like this, both ears, and prayed for three minutes flat out for his hearing. And at the end of it, he pulled his hands out and he said to the uh, person, he said, how's your hearing now? And he said, well, it's not till Wednesday. <laughs> uh, the reason I tell that is because I've actually started off wearing hearing aids. Hands up those who wear hearing aids here. Oh, my sympathy for you. Oh, look, I'll pray for your hearing at the end. Is that all right? Um, um, I've got one in the left ear, one in the right ear is uh, the, the battery blew up and they've had to send it back down to Auckland so I can only partially hear what I'm saying. Anyway. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in a real desert. Uh, Sue and I drove down through the desert road recently to Wanganui to go and visit a friend and the desert road is kind of deserty. But it certainly isn't a lifeless, barren, sandy desert, the way that you view a desert. Located in South Africa, just north of Cape Town, about 500 um, kilometers north, is a, an area called Namaqualand. And for much of the year, it's barren, empty, sandy, stony, that's it. But then in spring, when it rains, the desert is transformed into a carpet of flowers. In fact, they reckon there are about three to 4,000 species of flowers that come alive, of which 1,000 species are only to be found in that part of the world. So the desert is completely transformed. And I'd like you just to watch this um, little video clip of Namaqualand, because it has everything to do with what I'm going to talk about today. Thank you, Lynette. African desert, cursed by drought. Where life is pushed to the limits. An endless land driven by strife. There is no escape from the relentless sun and swirling dusts. But there is a secret hidden in these hostile plains. It takes just a few drops to spark the magic. The curse is broken and the dormant soils erupt. Into an array of color unmatched by any other on earth. Transformed by the sun, a billion flowers unfold. 
This is Namaqualand, Africa's desert garden. A sea of flowers responds to the warmth of the sun, turning the rocks and beaches of South Africa's west coast into a paradise, where not only the sands, but even the stones seem to come alive. Stretching from the Atlantic Ocean in the west, over sand dunes and massive plains, the splendor extends 100 kilometers inland until it meets an 800 meter high escarpment. Here in the hinterland, fields of flowers have transformed the desert plains into a palette of countless colors, shapes and sizes. Across these plains, Namaqualand has over 3,000 species of flowers. More than half occur nowhere else on Earth. This extravaganza of flowers is the result of a connection between Namaqualand's geography and weather. Nestled between the Cape Floral Kingdom in the south and the ancient Namib Desert in the north, Namaqualand boasts the most spectacular landscapes. You know, that's a picture for us, if you like, of heaven intersecting with earth. And Namaqualand is a totally transformed landscape. When Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's what he was praying. He was praying for a transformed earth. We are now in the second week of the Lord's Prayer. Last week, Howard spoke on our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And today, I'm speaking on thy kingdom come, thy will be done. To pray that prayer is all about transformation. It's about change. It's about transforming the world from what God intended it to be in the first place and then became cursed because of human beings desire to try and live on this planet without reference to God. It's a transformation back to a land, a place of peace, of joy, of providence and blessing. But it's also a prayer for us to pray, Lord, change me. There's a couple of things that we need to note about the Lord's Prayer. The first thing is, I don't know if you noticed in Luke's account how it says that Jesus was in a certain place 
And when he'd finished praying, a disciple came to him and said, would you teach us how to pray? And in Matthew's Gospel, where the Lord's Prayer is reported, it says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in the secret place. This prayer is not just a prayer we pray together as a family prayer in a church service. It's actually a prayer for the private room. Because the question was, would you teach us how to pray? Because they'd seen Jesus going off to pray. And the second thing to note, so firstly it's a model for our private prayer life. A very helpful model. And secondly, I don't know if you've noticed with the Lord Prayer, the first two stanzas address God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first two stanzas of the prayer are God-centered, about his character, about his view of the world. And I think that's very helpful for us because I don't know about you, when you begin your prayers, how often do we say straight away, oh, help me, God. (laughs) How often are our prayers begin with us? And I think if we begin with God, that sets the agenda for our prayers. A good friend of mine in my home group said to me a while back to our home group, he said, genuine prayer is always unselfish prayer. And I thought that was a great quote. So now let's look at thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The phrase of the kingdom of God is not a new idea when Jesus started talking about it. In fact, all the way through the Old Testament, the idea of the kingdom of God was a phrase that people were familiar with. And what it represented was three things. It represented a freeing of people from bondage. It represented um, the defeat of evil. And it represented the establishment of a kingdom where God's rule and reign is completely established. That's what it represented. And so all the way through the Old Testament, we have kind of pictures of this. At the end of the flood, we have the creation, if you like, of a new world. When the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, we see the breaking of evil powers over them and the people of God being set free. That's the inbreaking of the kingdom. We see the people of God going into the land of Cana and defeating the powers there and establishing a land for God's people. And we see it coming to its fullness with kings like David and Saul. You know, the height of David and uh, Solomon's um, powers. The kingdom of Israel was a great kingdom. But then, of course, the people of Israel fell away and the people went into captivity. And the kingdom of God kept kind of appearing and then disappearing. And finally, the kingdom of God reached its fulfillment when Jesus came. The prophets themselves spoke about this kingdom. Ezekiel spoke about 
a shepherd of Israel, a shepherd coming to Israel. Um, uh, Zechariah spoke of a God who would come with all his saints with him. And Malachi spoke of the Lord who would suddenly come to his temple. And Isaiah, as we heard today, that beautiful reading from Isaiah 35, we heard about a highway of wholeness, uh, holiness. We heard about the deaf being able to hear. Amen. We heard about the blind being able to see. We, saw a, we heard about the lame leaping like a deer. We hear about the dumb singing. These are the very things that Jesus brought when he came into his ministry. These are the things that when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, that's what we're requesting. So I'm thinking of Elaine, you know, going down into the central city. We're praying, thy kingdom come, Lord, on earth here as it is in heaven. It's not just a resigned prayer that may it come one day and I'm just going to go off now for a coffee. It's, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. I want to be part of that, Lord. And so when Jesus came, the disciples were expecting the kingdom of God, just like any true Israelite. And then they were amazed because they saw things like, they saw things like tax collectors and prostitutes being called to follow this guy Jesus. The very people who were excluded from the temple. Jesus said, come follow me. He saw adulterers. They saw adulterers being forgiven and saying, don't sin anymore. Come follow me. They saw the blind, people who'd been blind, one man for 38 years. They saw him see again. And they saw a cripple um, near Solomon's portico getting up and walking after 38 years of sitting by that pool. And they saw Jesus doing this. And then they noticed him going off to pray. And they suddenly made a connection between his prayer life and his action. His astounding public life came out of prayer. Thy kingdom come, Father, on earth here as it is in heaven. They saw he was actually doing it. You see, when Jesus came into his ministry, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. He inaugurated it on earth. With the coming of the kingdom, we see this intersecting of heaven invading the space that we live in, earth, our unhappy fallen world. And this is the point. Jesus wasn't just waiting for the kingdom to come. He was ushering it in. The Viva magazine, those of you who read, probably who reads the Viva magazine here? Probably none of you, but the Viva magazine had this advert on it the other day and I couldn't help but miss it. The future is now. 
That's what the kingdom is. The future is now. It's the future coming into the present now. He prayed that prayer, and the disciples said, Would you teach us to pray, Lord? So he taught them to pray this prayer. Now, I may have shown you this diagram before, but I find this, re- this has really helped me to understand and to grapple with what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to move over here. Oh, doesn't reach. And I'm right-handed. John, come and hold this, will you? <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's, it's a bit like this. Oh, do you want some glasses? Lights. Um, so that's just a big black line, and that black line represents the time that we're living in, the present age, okay? And what the Jews believed was this. The Messiah would come and a new kingdom would start. The old kingdom would end and then... He kneels really well, doesn't he? Okay? That's what, that's what they believed. As soon as the Messiah would come, there'd be a new kingdom. The Messiah came, I'm going to do that in red, Jesus, and the Jews didn't recognize him. And what he did was he bought the new kingdom there, the kingdom to come into the present. And when he comes again, his second coming, when he comes again, The earth as we know it will be no more. And the kingdom of God will go on and on and on and on. But in the meantime, you and I are living in this time of the kingdom coming into the earth and mixing, if you like, with the darkness of the world that we live in. That's what it means to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus brought the kingdom into the present. Does that make sense? Thank you, John. I I found that really helpful when I first encountered it for me to help to understand what that really means. And so... When we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we don't pray with that kind of resigned sense, oh Lord, may your kingdom just come on earth, Um, it'll come one day and I'm just going off to play golf. May your kingdom come, Lord. When you go off to play golf, you're praying, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God to the golf course, to my friends, to the people I'm playing golf with. I might get a hole in one and they might listen to me then. There's a good joke about that one too, but I won't tell you now. 
You see, when we pray that prayer, what we're doing is we are preparing ourselves to bring the kingdom of God to other people, our friends, our families, our neighbours, our places of recreation. Maybe God might call you or I to leave this nation and go to another nation to bring the kingdom of God to another nation. So when we pray, for example, for Ukraine, it's one thing to pray, Lord, your kingdom come in Ukraine. Your will be done. It's another thing to give to the work of peace there generously, which means that I'm now trying to do, Lord, that. I'm trying to help bring your kingdom of love and peace to Ukraine, or even to go, as some people have felt called to go to the Ukraine, to bring God's kingdom. Um, I saw the other day the most wonderful thing about what the Bible Society are doing in Ukraine right now. They're called the Angels of Kiev. And they turn up not just with Bibles. People are clamoring for Bibles in Ukraine right now. They're turning up with bread as well. The work of the Bible Society in Ukraine, I commend it to you. But I just love this cartoon. It's up in my office, um, and it's about a man who's sitting on a park bench, and he's talking to Jesus, and the question is, so Jesus, why do we allow all these things like famine and war and suffering and disease and crime and homelessness to happen in our world? And Jesus said, oh, it's interesting you should ask that question because I was about to ask you the very same question. Why do we allow it? Get the point? Jesus asks us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then to do something about it. So how do we do it? And this is the crux. I hope you don't miss this. I want you to notice how Luke ends the passage about the Lord's Prayer. First of all, he begins in response to their question. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer, in which is set, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then he tells them a parable about a persistent man who goes to ask for bread. And then eventually he gets it. And then he explains that this parable is an exhortation to ask, to seek, to knock. Ask, seek, knock. Persist in asking. And then we are promised that if we ask, we will receive. And right at the end of the prayer, Jesus, at this passage, Jesus gives the answer to how we should pray, how we should bring the kingdom to the earth. He says this, if you lot, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, remember we began with our father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Here, Jesus is teaching us that the Father can give us the equipment and the power and the strength that we need to bring the kingdom to earth. It's the Holy Spirit. We must not miss this point. We need to connect the Lord's Prayer to the promise 
of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered with God's Holy Spirit, not just once, but continually. Paul says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, like I am now, it's power, he says. That's what the kingdom of God is. Jesus himself was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. His ministry then took off. He was led into the wilderness to be tested. And then he came into his ministry, it says, in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus then said to his disciples, before he left them and ascended into heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be witnesses to the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in New Zealand. It's the ends of the earth, sorry. So to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to pray, Lord, fill me with your power. It's an admission of our powerlessness. It's a humbling prayer. It's saying, Lord, I can't bring the kingdom of God to my street, to my family, without your power and strength. Jesus was in effect saying, the kingdom of God comes through the power of God's spirit. That's how it comes. You know, the early disciples were Christ's followers for three years before they were empowered by the Spirit to do the work of the kingdom. Right after the resurrection, Jesus came back into the room and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. But they were not empowered by the Spirit. That empowering came 40 days later when they waited continually in prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, asking, seeking, knocking. And suddenly, the power of the Spirit fell on them, and that made all the difference to being timid, hiding behind a door, saying, oh, let the pastor do it, it's his job, not mine, to let's get out there and share the good news of Jesus. Let's lay hands on the sick. Let's give to the poor. Let's welcome someone into our home. Let's do it. It's the power of the Spirit that enabled them to do it. Corrie ten Boom said this, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is most confusing, exhausting, and tedious work of all. But when you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. Do you know, I've just got an e-bike, as you might know, and I cycle into work all the way downhill, I don't even have to turn the power on, just glide all the way down the hill. But when I go home for lunch, the moment I love is this. Going up the drive there, cycling down to the track, and then I see this long hill in front of me. What do I do? Click to boost. And I pedal, and the bike just goes whoosh like this. You know, and I, what I love doing is see other cyclists cycling up there and just cycling past them like this, you know, on my e-bike. It's the power... 
I, I'm just turning my legs round. The bike just takes off. I'm not doing a promo for Northland e-bikes. Don't get me wrong. Charles Spurgeon said this, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are like sailing ships without wind. We're useless. Um, you've heard me talk about this before, but I'm just going to underline it again. You know, I was a Christian for 16 years. I had the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit didn't have all of me. I had the Holy Spirit in my life, but the Holy Spirit didn't have all of me. And I remember going to a home group one night and we were praying to be filled with the Spirit. And a lady said to me this, she said, Lorne, you'll never come into the fullness of the Spirit until you give up your preoccupations with your work. And it was when I collapsed, trying to do everything in my own strength, and I just could not face going into work anymore, that I cried out to God. I said, Lord, help me. I've got a family to feed. Help me. And I remember going away to a healing center in, uh, near New Plymouth and just crying out to God in the garden. And within three weeks, I was sitting up in bed one night just reading a psalm and the Holy Spirit just came in power because he had all of me. I had nothing else to do. Now, I'm not recommending that for any of you here, but what I want to recommend is, have you made room in every area of your life for the Holy Spirit to do his work through you? Now, I'm not saying, you know, before that experience, you know, my witness for Christ was rather weak. It was pretty selfish and pretty uninspiring. And I'm not saying that because of that experience, I'm fully inspiring to everybody and all that sort of I'm not saying that. I'm saying that what the Holy Spirit did in my life enabled me and motivated me to serve God with everything. And that's what it's called for. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he's got to pick up a cross and follow me. You've got to make a sacrifice. You've got to give up things. If you want to be empowered by the Spirit. John Stott put his finger on it when he said this. What we, the church, need is not more learning, more eloquence, more persuasion, nor more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. And I remember this little song we used to sing in our Sunday school back in Wanganui. Please fill me, Lord, with your power, power to live for you. Holy Spirit, every hour, let your love shine through. I want to ask you as I finish, are you satisfied with your Christian life? Do you have a desire to see others, your friends, your family, your workmates, your neighbours, encounter God's kingdom, giving them an opportunity to step into it? Do you feel powerless to do the things that Jesus did, that he asks us to do, 
So if he says pray for the sick, lay hands on the sick and pray for them, and we're not doing that, it's complete disobedience. It is. Because he said lay hands on the sick and pray for them. He says drive out demons. Do you feel powerless to do that? Do you feel powerless to comfort the brokenhearted? If your answer to any of those questions is yes, you need more Holy Spirit power. You need to be praying. We need to be praying that prayer. May your kingdom come and your will be done in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, in the Macroland, it only took a few drops of rain to transform that desert into glory. It only takes a few drops of the Holy Spirit's power to transform you and me so that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, the way God intended it to be. Let me pray for you. Would you like to stand? I'd just like to pray over you. Um, I'm not going to say the Lord spoke to me, but I read a verse this morning that um, i just like to pray over you, if you don't mind. And if you'd like to just receive, I just want to encourage you to put your hands out. That means I want to receive bread, Lord. I just want to receive your spirit. I want to receive more of you. It says this in Genesis, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering. And Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Holy Spirit, I believe you're hovering over us here today. And we ask you, Lord, maybe you could ask him yourself. Come and fill me with your power. If there's any sin in your life that you need to confess, I'd confess it first. If there's any blockage in your life, anything that's preoccupying you more than the kingdom of God, repent of it and say, Lord, I don't want this Holy Spirit just to make me feel good. I want it so I can do good. Lord, fill my friends, I pray. Thank you, Lord. 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 I can see some people really engaging with God, and that's what it's all about. We're here to meet with God. He wants to meet you today. He loves you. I was thinking of that song, The Power of Your Love. Fill me with the power of your love, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.